What's good, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of SDGC After Hours, where we will be delving into next-gen console rumors, focusing on PS5 and Xbox Next Console Suite, Project Scarlet. I'm joined by two dear friends, SDGC's Justin. How's it going, Zach? Going well. And of course, friend of the show, Sam Tolbert. Sam, thanks so much for being here with us. Thanks for inviting me, dude. It was actually really funny you and I were talking about maybe doing this while we were playing Gears 5 a couple of days ago, and then some news just dropped the very next morning that was like, yeah, let's let's expedite this process. Let's get this going. <laughs> yeah, it seems like uh, uh, rumors and news is kind of popping up all over the place, so it's the perfect time for us to get into it. Uh, Justin, I think we need to start at the beginning. Earlier this year, PlayStation surprised us on a random Tuesday morning with a little article in Wired. Could you run us through those first basic details? Yeah, so um, yeah, so it was a random Tuesday in April, and it was funny because I was in the middle of doing chores, and all of a sudden my phone blew up, and a bunch of people were like, holy shit, they just announced the PS5. I'm like, what the fuck are you guys talking about? <laughs> like, it was like 8 in the morning, um, and sure enough, uh, Mark Cerny had an interview in Wired uh, talking about what then they just referred to as the next-gen console. Um, not PS5. Not P- not PS5. <laughs> uh, we'll get to the official announcement a bit later. Uh, um, but uh, going over some of the technology goals and architecture goals that they had for the system. Um, and this, this came as a big surprise. Remember, this is the year um, Sony had pulled out of E3, and this was about a month or three weeks or so before E3. And so all of a sudden this came out and one of the big uh, revelations that they really focused on was the inclusion of a solid state hard drive um, for the console um, included in every system. And they showed off a demo of Spider-Man uh, running side by side with a PlayStation 4 Pro and the dev kits from that time which they were they even referred to as like slow dev kits um as well as revealing that it was going to be based on AMD's new Zen 2 CP, CPU architecture um and their new Navi GPUs which have now been um an, announced as actually being a new architecture um called RDNA so um and there was also a brief mention of ray tracing capabilities, but it wasn't particularly clear what that was going to entail. Uh, ray tracing is a huge deal uh, in real-time rendering. There's just a handful of NVIDIA GPUs that support it right now. There are no AMD GPUs on the market, uh, even today, that support it, um, at least hardware accelerated. So... That got a lot of that had a lot of questions, and unfortunately, it was kind of vague, so we didn't really know what to make of it. Yeah, and it was it was a few weeks before E three, like you said. E three twenty nineteen was not a show uh, uh, that PlayStation attended this year, so it was kind of a, a good opportunity for them to kind of get their name out there and own a little bit of coverage before uh, that that season kicked up. But Sam, what did you make of the Wired information? And then also, uh, did we learn anything from E three twenty nineteen about next gen? So the first thing I make of it is that it's getting really annoying Sony keeping me from enjoying my coffee with some early games <laughs> with these uh, <laughs> interviews that they're just randomly dropping early in the morning. Like, come on, that's my me time before work hits. Uh, seriously, though, I think it's interesting. I think it's 
a lesson on how to be restrained but still get your name out there. The fact that, look, if you don't have that much to show in terms of PlayStation 5 games at the moment, then you can still try and get yourself in the conversation ahead of time by dropping an interview when no one expects it. I think it's smart, the way they've been rolling it out. Unexpected, very different from what they've done in the past, but smart all the same. I think it was also kind of a way for them to remind people hey, we're working on something really hard in the background, so even if we have a less of a showing of new stuff for PS4 this year, we're, we've got kind of got our eyes on the future, so just wait. Right, we're and not we're, just sitting here twiddling our thumbs, exactly. And we kind of knew they were, they were staying yeah. busy, right? Like, they did get some back-end infrastructure stuff finally fixed, right? Like, they finally allowed people to start tweaking their uh, PlayStation names, although that wasn't a flawless execution. That was something that they had been stuck on for years, so they've been making progress, too. So, Sam, do you want to kind of give a breakdown of maybe of what kind of information we got out of E3? Right. So at E3, Microsoft confirmed at the end of their show that they were moving ahead with Project Scarlet. That was the code name that uh, actually Windows Central and Brad Sams at Thorot.com both found it around the same time uh, at E3 2018. So we've actually known that code name for quite some time. Microsoft confirmed it. They confirmed that they were targeting uh, 120 frames per second technology, that they were going to have hardware level ray tracing, that they were going to, this is a cool thing in my opinion, make sure that headsets and controllers all carried forward. So if like, if you bought the expensive Elite V2 this fall or whatever, then that's going to carry forward. You'll be able to use your controllers. They were shifting the backward compatibility team over to make sure that all games across all the generations that you can currently play on your Xbox One, you'll be able to play on Scarlet. Halo Infinite is the cross-generation launch title. They showed kind of, it's difficult to tell due to stream, but like some render mock-ups of what that might look like running on next-gen hardware. We got, I guess, some of our first footage that was explicitly confirmed as cross-gen. In that, so that was a really cool moment. Uh, Digital Foundry, to give them a shout out, has an excellent breakdown of like the texture materials and how a lot of that stuff was well ahead of what we can currently do. Yeah, the, on our current hardware. The texture work in like I've seen several people that were not impressed by that trailer. However, I was very impressed. Um, it was native 4K 60 with just extreme texture quality um, and post processing out the wazoo. Yeah too like way more post-processing that you can get well it was kind of funny because they showed halo infinite last year they showed like a little teaser for it that showed kind of some more of the surface level things and i remember the disclaimer it said shown on uh in development xbox hardware and i'm just like hmm this is native 4k 60 with a lot going on what what hardware is it running on (laughs) yeah even the x8 doing that no way Absolutely no way. But uh, they And they confirmed, obviously, much like the PlayStation Wired interview had already confirmed, that it was going to be using GDDR6 memory. It was going to have a solid-state drive. They were designing around that. You can use the SSD as RAM. That's a really, really big deal. Uh, Navi hardware for the CPU and GPU architecture. Good stuff. Good stuff all around. But that, the second half of that was stuff that had already been talked about um, with PlayStation's Wired interview back in mm. April. Yeah, I mean, I would say the only thing from E3 about the Halo news that had people uh, a little bit hesitant were people seeing those amazing textures, but then also being reminded, because Microsoft said it's a cross-gen title, that means those 2013 Xbox Ones that look like those VCRs under your TV uh, were also going to be running that same game, and so people started worrying about some of those benchmarks and, and how 
uh, this gen might hold hold back next gen. So, and I think that's an ongoing discussion that Microsoft's going to have to navigate. And I think we'll come back to that point later on. Um, we, we will. Yeah. We'll come back to that. In the immediate time, I'll just say that as far as Microsoft's exclusives go, as far as, actually, more specifically, as far as Halo Infinite goes, Gears 5 was designed around the Xbox One X. Forza Horizon 4 was designed around the Xbox One X, and that's where they shine, but they still do a great job on the base hardware. I think with their first-party developers, any cross-gen games there initially in 2020 and 2021, you're not going to need to worry about. I, I highly doubt that game's going to be targeting 60 frames per second on the current systems. Almost certainly not. It'll probably be 1080-30. Yeah. It'll do, yeah. because Gears 5 did the same thing. 4K 60, oh, well, targeting 4K 60 on the X, and then, you know, 1080-30 on the base hardware. It'll You'll probably see just a more, slightly more extreme version of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so a couple months later, um, I think it was, was it September? It was September. September? Yeah. Okay. Um, there was actually a second Wired interview um, that basically started with uh, Mark Cerny being like, I don't think I was clear uh, in the first thing and like emphasizing that PlayStation 5 does have hardware accelerated ray tracing. Um, people really wanted to hear those specific words in that order um, to see if they were really talking about what they were talking about. And especially since Microsoft had confirmed it, they came out um, spoke about that. Um, they also talked a lot about haptic feedback on their controllers, which sounds really cool. Um, they talked about like the sticks and triggers having different, different like resistances based off of like what kind of material you're running through. So like you'll have more resistance walking through mud. They talked about, um, you know, when you're knocking a bow, you can feel it kind of hit, you know, when the, it extends to the max point you can feel that in your in your fingers um really it's really cool stuff um kind of gimmicky and silly but i always i always love that sort of thing um, i don't think it's quite as gimmicky as you might think uh, a lot of people don't know this but the xbox one controllers do have a, a primitive a far less advanced version mm-hmm. of that tech in the bumpers that's what, but the problem is not many developers take advantage of it the only ones to do are turn 10 and playground games but that's one of the reasons that forza feels so great to handle is because they're actually using that haptic feedback and, in the bumpers and this is so it is a big yeah. deal especially if this is a more advanced version yeah and especially like if you know xbox continues with that having more platforms that support it means it'll be more supported um exactly Oh, I forgot to mention PlayStation in the first Wired interview had also said 120 hertz like um, Microsoft did. And they also mentioned a 3D audio chip uh, for, um, you know, headphones and stuff to make kind of give, you know, more depth to the audio experience, which a few games have done 3D audio and it is super cool. I use headphones for everything, so I'm excited about that getting support. But that, again, was in the first Wired interview. And the second Wired interview also... They came out and said that it's going to be called the PlayStation 5. Um, Surprise. Yeah, I, I love, there was a quote from Jim Ryan where he's like, oh, it feels so good to get that off my chest. It's like, Jim, buddy, <laughs> I think we had a pretty good idea of what it was going to be called. The best part about that is that they are still not, they talk all about the controller technology, but they actually aren't confirming it's called the DualShock 5 yet either. It's like, guys, <laughs> come on. Yeah, like, and they also confirmed it looks very similar to the DualShock 4 and everything, but they're not calling it. And also, um, uh, we had gotten a couple leaks uh, from a Brazilian patent 
of this absolutely crazy looking dev kit that was supposedly the PlayStation 5. It has like a big V in it and like a just covered in vents. Um yeah. and we got it, it didn't look unlike it didn't look unlike a a heater for a single piece of pizza. It kind of <laughs> looked like it was a bespoke pizza cooker. It it's one of the most bizarre designs I've seen. And this interview actually confirmed that that is the PlayStation Five dev kit, um, which which was kind of like an entertaining little thing. Like, obviously, the final console isn't going to look like that. Um, it's for current development hardware, but like that was kind of a. It's one of the cooler dev kits. Yeah, it's it's definitely more interesting than what dev kits typically look like. Um, right now, before we move on to to some of the more recent rumors, I kind of want you both to walk me through. I'm not as tech tech oriented as you guys are, and I'm sure some of our listeners aren't either. So the two things I want to hit on is I want you guys to walk me through some of the new ray tracing tech that's in here and how that might be different from what we're seeing in PCs today. Uh, unfortunately, that's kind of hard to answer. AMD still doesn't have GPUs out that support ray tracing. We do not know how it is going to differ from NVIDIA's implementation. Um, we should be getting information on that fairly soon. Um, they they have, you know, teased major GPU announcements at uh, the Com- Consumer Electronics Show in January. So um, we should be getting some information on that front soon. But, like, it could also differ, too, depending on how consoles use it and integrate it into their tool set and API. So... That's kind of tough to answer. Um, yeah, but building on that, if, if you don't mind, Justin, yeah, I think yeah. one thing we're definitely going to see is it's going to be optional. Like, I, I think ray tracing will definitely be a bigger deal next gen than it was this one, because only, like, one game I can think of, two games maybe even use a primitive form of it. Gears 5 uses like, it in the uh, the shadows. It uses a very primitive ray tracing for the shadows. And then uh, there's one other as well. Claybook I, I can't and uh, Claybook, Tomorrow yeah. Children. Tomorrow. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, so we'll see more games use it, but I do think it's going to be an optional feature. Much like games right now are having, hey, you can choose frame rate mode or visuals mode, I think there might be ray tracing modes. You'll be yeah. able to enable, but it's going to drop the resolution and the frame rate by a fair bit. In yeah, because yeah. ray tracing is extremely taxing. Extremely. Um, it is kind of the holy grail of real-time rendering. Um and people were saying that we probably wouldn't be able to get to a point where this could be included in games at playable frame rates for like another 10 years. And then all of a sudden NVIDIA announced it next year and now it's making it into consoles. And like, if you're somebody that has followed this stuff for a while, like that's really difficult to fathom that all of a sudden it went from being 10 year, ten plus years away to next year, rec- consumer devices are going to have it absolutely if you if you want to learn more about ray tracing what i will say is go look up some images and some video comparisons of metro exus 4a games are some of the best when it comes to ray tracing right now and and there's some interesting stuff out there yeah and um last year uh i'll probably talk a bit more about specifics about this but last year um i did kind of a prediction video with alex battaglia from digital foundry who has done many many videos going in depth into various uses of ray tracing and their implementations in games um i think people kind of think it's only for reflections or only for shadows and stuff and the reality is it can be used for a wide wide variety of things to create really accurate um behavior 
and uh, looks to certain effects that typical um, game rendering has kind of come up short on. So um, head over to Digital Foundry and search for ray tracing. There's tons of videos. He's really knowledgeable. And he has, over the past year, gotten me much more excited about the possibilities of ray tracing in games. So the other question I had uh, for, for people like me and people um, who, who maybe aren't as in tune about this, Justin, you mentioned that they said that they were going to be looking at ways that they can implement uh, 120 frames per second. Uh, most TVs uh, in the U.S. kind of cap out at 60. Is this for people who want to play on their uh, PCs? What is what is the benefits of 120? Okay, so I don't know if we'll actually get games that run at 120 frames per second. Uh, for me, that more indicated that games are going to be built, uh, and these systems are going to be built around the HDMI 2.0 st- 2.1 standard, um, which currently there's like only the LG OLEDs support it. Next year, I feel like almost every new TV is probably going to support it. And the big thing, um, there's a whole lot of major things that it brings for um, uh, video files, but I'll just talk about the one thing that is going to make a big difference for games, and that's variable refresh support. Um, so um, if, you're, if you're somebody that's on PC, you've probably heard of G-Sync and FreeSync. Um, which allows um, you to get proper um, display of frames, even if you're not matching a direct multiple of your screen's refresh rate. So um, the reason a lot of games currently are built for either 30 FPS or 60 FPS is because if, um, like on a 60 hertz screen, on a 30 FPS game, each frame is shown twice. Um, and that creates an even level of motion. Um, on a, six, it, a 60 FPS game, each frame would be shown once. However, it can only update once every, you know, one sixtieth of a second. So when you get frame rate instability, it creates judder and it creates massive spikes in input latency for games. So... When they talk about 120 hertz, I think it's less that they're going to be targeting 120 frames per second. Although we might get something like that in like games that are really esports focused. Um, sure. But I think that means that you know the HDMI 2.1 spec is going to be fully supported by these consoles, which is really exciting because I think it might allow us to get higher frame rates even if they can't hit 60 all the time, but the games can look really smooth and feel really smooth. So theoretically, we won't see a lot of uh, a lot of games leaving uh, or sticking to 30 FPS next gen. Is that is that safe to assume? Or Potentially, is that, is it too early um, to say. I mean, okay. it also depends on how fast ad- adoption of HDMI 2.1 TVs are. Um, I, again, this is a big question, and I could probably speculate on it for a while. Um, I feel like hopefully they have some OS level solutions so that if your TV supports it, you can get benefits from it. And, you know, people that don't haven't upgraded their TVs aren't going to get a suboptimal experience because of it. 
Gotcha. Fair enough. I think we are ready to jump over to the most recent stuff, which is the Xbox Scarlet suite of consoles. Sam, I want to throw to you. I kind of want you to introduce us to that that suite, uh, and then we'll kind of unpack it further. Okay. Yeah. So for full disclosure purposes, uh, this leak came from Jez Corden at Windows Central, who is my boss. It's one of three major sites that I write for, Windows Central, Android Central, and iMore. So collusion, et cetera, uh, jurisdiction probes whatever you need to that is there uh keep that in mind with that said jez out of the blue dropped a big report uh verified from multiple sources both at microsoft and not about what the technology in xbox scarlet is and because there's a lot of code names we're throwing around here xbox scarlet is a family of devices it's the two different consoles that microsoft is currently planning one of them is the Xbox Lock Card, which is basically going to be billed as the easiest, the cheapest way to get into next gen. And then the other one is Xbox Anaconda, which is the codename for the big boy, the beefy console that is being billed as the premium next gen experience. You could probably compare them to what the Xbox One S and Xbox One X are right now, is, is probably somewhat of a decent comparison. Uh, they're using very similar architecture. They're both using the same core architecture. The main difference is that Anaconda is going to be targeting around 12 teraflops of pe computing power, while the uh, Lockhart is going to be targeting around 4 teraflops of power. Beyond that, their CPU technology is going to be, again, extremely similar. Both will have 8 cores targeting around 3.5 gigahertz, which is substantially higher than I expected, uh, to say the least. They will then have, uh, in, at least in Anaconda, we don't know about Lockhart, but we know Anaconda will have 16 gigabytes of GDDR6 RAM, which means 13 gigabytes of RAM, which means more space for textures, because the most RAM in a console right now is in the Xbox One X, which has 9 gigabytes of RAM for games. And the more RAM you have, the more textures you can load in, the more uh, bigger worlds that you can have loaded at one time, etc., etc. And the final interesting part of Jez's report that I thought was really, really interesting is that Microsoft is going to be using Project X Cloud to allow you to start streaming a game the moment you download it. So if you want to get to playing your game, but your internet isn't going to allow you to play it for the next hour or so, you can just go ahead and start it, and then you'll seamlessly be able to close down the stream and carry your progress over once the game has finished downloading, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, that's, that's a neat imp implementation of streaming. Yeah, it's definitely more practical, um, as we've seen, you know, over the last month with Stadia, how how demanding streaming can be in the long term. These little short term solutions where you could play for a half hour while the you know something basic installs is kind of a cool solution. It, it's a supple. It's supplementing an existing ecosystem. It's not meant to replace it. That's the substantial yeah. difference. But um, going into the hardware, um, because Justin, you had some interesting things to say once this report came out, so I want to kick it back to you. Yeah. Okay. So. One thing to put into perspective um, before we start talking the numbers is that these consoles are being built on the RDNA um, architecture from AMD, um, whereas the current consoles were built on GCN, which is an older architecture. Um, uh, RDNA has almost, has between 40 to 50% more performance in games per flop. So, um, especially w when talking about uh, Lockhart, this is an important thing to keep in mind because Lockhart is supposedly a four teraflop console. However, it is being built on this RDNA uh, platform, so it's pr it's 
people keep comparing it to the PS4 Pro GPU, and it's much more close. It's much closer to the Xbox One X GPU. Right. Um. Plus, it's also probably going to be. It's. I assume it would be fully featured with the new architectural improvements, which could lead to much better performance as well. Um. So, that's important to note first, and then also, it's very important to note that what the Anaconda is targeting is extremely impressive and above what almost anybody that has any technical knowledge (laughs) was expecting. Um, 12 teraflops is a lot. And, uh, and also the clock speeds on the CPU are higher than we thought. And also the jump in CPU is going to be enormous. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We can't overstate what that difference in architecture is. Jaguar, was always a bad architecture. <laughs> um, even back in 2013, um, it was just literally the only option that had power consumption low enough to go in the consoles. Um, and they're also clocked extremely low <laughs> in the current consoles. Like, Digital Foundry did, like, kind of a simulated uh, benchmarking test and said that it's going to be, like, roughly seven times the cpu performance which if you follow cpus cpus have really slowed down in their progress lately so like getting a jump like that is massive huge and then one other important thing to note is um you know the ram jump is not that big we're used to seeing really huge jumps in ram between generations but um it's important to note that with a solid state drive being standard and required and games being developed around them they can swap data in and out of ram extraordinarily fast um like there's 13 gigs of ram available to games like this could basically fill that in like three to five seconds from scratch and on top of that using an ssd means that you don't have to have the same game data on every sector of the hard drive you don't have to have as much Correct. Uh, data that's just crap and that's been copied over for it to read it. The SSD just needs it once and it can yeah. read it. Um, Insomniac has actually a really good presentation on how they were optimizing Spider-Man. And they were targeting around 20 megabits per second in streaming speed because you can change out the PS4 hard drive. So they had to be able to accommodate somebody putting in a really bad hard drive. And um, they also said they had to copy some data several hundred times to be able to have it load in fast enough. Um, Both Sony and Microsoft have talked about these being, you know, faster than PC SSDs, which means we're looking at going from 20 megabits per second to like three and a half gigabytes per second in like data that they can load like it's going to be huge for game developers well and i think i think what's especially huge here is because both sony and microsoft are going after this tech it definitely increases our odds of more developers taking advantage of it right absolutely absolutely and on top of that it doesn't just it's really difficult to overstate how big of a deal this is um I, I can just and I are on the same wavelength here where it's like this isn't just your games are going to load way faster this is games are going to be developed with this technology in mind developers are going to be setting out from the ground up knowing 
oh, I know it'll be running off of this, I can do more complicated things, and that is incredibly exciting. Yeah, like, that. that's something that um, a lot of developers have talked about, and, like, also just in general, from a convenience standpoint, point, um, I think it's something that's really easy to market, even to the most casual of players. Hey, games will load in a couple seconds instead of a couple minutes. Um, being able to switch between titles when your friend sends you an invite um, to join them in a multiplayer match and, and you were playing a different game. Um, really quick operating systems. Like, I think it's something that is going to really improve both the user experience of, you know, traditional system stuff as well as in games. Yeah, I think it's going to be, I think it's absolutely going to be huge. And and Sam, I, I know you and I are on the same page. Justin, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you've heard about it. The Xbox One UI is constantly going through iterations and they're always looking for ways to improve things, but it's been so slow the last couple of years that uh, any any indication that they're going to have uh, less bottlenecks going forward in next gen is uh, Please. a big uh, relief Please. to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. uh, so so before we get into kind of some rumors and what we, what we expect to see next, I kind of want us to talk about uh, what challenges we might see? I, I mean, PlayStation Five seems like a pretty straightforward console to to market. It's the most, you know, it's the most popular current gen console with PS4. Selling someone a PS5 shouldn't be hard. Oh, we also I forgot to mention. I knew there was one piece of date information from the Wired interviews. I forgot. PlayStation Five is fully backwards compatible with the PlayStation Four and PlayStation VR, which is going to be huge, especially for PSVR. Yes. Um, but, but what I wanted to ask is PS5 kind of markets itself. I want to know, do you guys see any hurdles for Microsoft in trying to sell, uh, two different SKUs, uh, next holiday season? So one thing that I think is going to be tough, especially among, um, kind of the hardcore is they spent a year and a half before the launch of the Xbox One X screaming six teraflops as loud as they could because they knew it was going to beat out the PlayStation 4 Pro and, then with the Xbox Lockhart, they're releasing one that, even though performance-wise, it'll probably be about the same on a graphics level, is going to be four teraflops. I think that's going to be very tough for them to sell to, you know, a lot some of their core, some of their core players that aren't as technically minded. I, I agree, which is why I don't think they're going to even be marketing on the Lockhart side of things. Uh, they're not going to be marketing it to the hardcore. Lockhart is not meant for the hardcore, yeah. in my um, opinion, at all. The Anaconda yeah. is what's meant. That Lockhart is for the, oh, you know, little Timmy wants to play Call of Duty because, of course, he does. Little Timmy's parents are going to look for the cheapest thing on the shelf that yeah. he'll run on. And that's kind of the other thing that I think might be kind of a hurdle is um, it was also mentioned in a Kotaku report about the Lockhart that it was going to be an all-digital console. And um, I think a lot of the people that would be buying a cheaper console are also a lot of the people that would still be buying physical stuff. So it's kind of, you know, more of an attempt to convert them to uh, buying into Game Pass and digital games. But I do think it might hold back some of the appeal of that platform. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, and I, and I think... I think stuff around people who who are still interested in physical discs, I think will will still be challenged by next gen regardless, right? Like, I, uh, we're seeing patch sizes go up. People who have data caps like me, um, I I think we have a lot of stuff. There's so much in, an interesting tech at play here, but I also think that 
uh, one of the biggest hurdles for, for both PS5 and Xbox will be how do we get people to download these really, really big games with their really, really big patches for people who live in rural America who just uh, don't have uh, net infrastructure. I think that might be a hurdle for them. Well, and that's one thing they t- that's um, they've kind of emphasized with the SSDs, and Sam touched on it, is you won't need as much duplicate data um, because the way SSDs work, they don't have the same kind of seek times as a mechanical drive. So a piece of information is going to be on there once instead of copied several hundred times, like I mentioned with the Spider-Man thing. Yeah, you're yeah, going to be like, getting rid of a lot of junk, Daddy. You're going to see game sizes. Once the cross-gen period uh, ends, like after that, you're going to see a lot of game sizes go way down. Yeah, it's kind of funny that we're going to have to wait for cross-gen to end for the game sizes to get smaller. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but I, I think... Who knows? Maybe... Maybe they'll figure out smart delivery where it will be like, okay, if you're on the Xbox One X, we're going to give you this big-ass file, and if you're on uh, the Anaconda, we're going to deliver you uh, you know, something a little bit smaller that's a little bit a leaner package. Maybe they'll have smart delivery figured out by that. That would be awesome. But I hope so. I'm I, not going like to get my hopes up. I'm not going to get my hopes up because I feel like that would be a lot of work for developers to like basically Fair recompile enough. them. Whereas I think, especially for cross-gen games, it's going to be one version that works across generations and essentially like the anaconda or ps5 version is going to work like an xbox one x or ps4 pro patch um for for at least the first couple years yeah that's that's totally fair enough so i kind of want to change our topic to kind of looking uh into 2020 into the reveals uh so at the start of this generation or, or i should say before the ps4 and the xbox one uh were officially uh uh released PlayStation announced their console in around February of 2013, and then Microsoft followed suit in, in like April. Are we expecting similar timelines this year in terms of uh, really pulling back the curtains more uh, sincerely? I think. Well, go ahead, Justin. Tell you what. Okay. Go ahead. Um, my prediction is I think we'll hear something from both of them before the Game Developers Conference this year. Um, I think Game Develop GDC is one of the biggest source of leaks every every year, especially when it comes to hardware stuff. Uh, that's where the PS4 Pro um, leaked because they, you know, briefed developers about it at GDC. Um, so I think they're probably going to want, at least spec-wise and, you know, some of the basics, I think they're going to want some of that information out there before um, GDC. Um, Can you remind me when that is? March. March? Okay, March 2020. March. Okay. Um, so I think we'll try to see both of them come out. Cause I remember it was kind of weird cause the PS4 had been announced, but the Xbox one had not in 2013. So it was really weird. Cause every single tech demo was on PS4. Every like piece of information was on PS4 and undisclosed platforms and stuff. Yeah. It was, the it was strange. It, it was very funny. I remember that. I, I, I re- Justin, Go ahead. Do you guys mean to tell me? Do you guys mean to tell me that the Xbox One had a bad launch? <laughs> Shockingly enough, <laughs> um, but yeah, but I'm was... with Justin. I'm with Justin. I think you see. I think you see probably February uh, for both of them would be my gut. Call. I don't think Xbox is going to wait as long this time, and I think Sony knows that they definitely can't take longer than they did um, before. Like they're going to have to just go ahead, get out there, because you want this stuff out before GDC. And you don't... E3 is another topic in and of itself because I don't think that's as straightforward as people think it is, as them just returning to E3. I think for both of them, they have some serious questions they need to be asking because 
80% of the journalists I know have no interest in E3 whatsoever. Um, and I don't want to bog us down in that, but that's another conversation. So they're going to want separate events. They're going to want them early in the year. Yeah, I, Fair enough. I, I think that makes the most sense to me as well. So I think the best place to start out rumors is to bring it back to the PS5. Uh, we, you know, we've, we've heard obviously from Wired and then Leaks, we have heard a little bit about uh, the internals of the PS5, uh, but not, not to the same extent as, as the Scarlet suite of consoles. I kind of want to talk about, uh, are we anticipating similar power between Anaconda and PS5? I think so. Um, I think a lot of people started off thinking that this will kind of take us into price talk as well. Um, I think people expected Sony to really want to stick with the 399 price port that has been their <laughs> PS4, PS4 Pro, PSVR all launched at that price. Um, however, just given, and this is also something I think is going to be difficult for Lockhart, like having, you know, a Zen 2 CPU with an RDNA GPU, um, probably GDDR6 memory. It's only been confirmed for um scarlet we actually haven't heard anything about the ram um for the playstation 5 um but most likely it's gddr6 um all that stuff's expensive and i think um it's probably going to be very similar between anaconda and uh playstation 5 uh jason schreier also was talking um earlier this week on one of his podcasts for kotaku and he was saying that he was hearing from developers even after this briefing on you know, Anaconda coming out more powerful than we had expected, that they're extraordinarily close systems. So, um, which I think would be great. That makes things easy for developers. Um, and now that, like, cross-play has become such a thing, like, I don't know, I really like the idea of it just being play where you want. <laughs> um, nobody's feeling like they're getting, you know, a bad experience um, well, at least among the higher-end consoles, but um, Lockhart kind of makes things a bit strange on that front. But I hope I hope they're close. Um, I think I think that would be great. It would cut down a lot of a lot of the stupid bickering, and it would make things easy for developers. Sam, what's your take, man? My, my, extremely close to Justin. My guess is simply because I have it on very good authority that like whatever you think of it, whatever you think the reasons were. At the end of the day, the team at Microsoft and their engineering took it very, very personal that uh, the Xbox One wasn't as effective or well-designed as the PlayStation 4, and they kind of sort of fixed some things with the Xbox One S, but even then there, were th there was architecture that was hanging over their heads. I think Anaconda is probably just, to be blunt, in a pissing contest, going to come out a little ahead, just because they will, but I think they're going to be extremely close. I think they're going to be like within 10% of each other would be my yeah. call. I'll say that right now. I think they'll yeah. be very, very close. Maybe a slight teraflop, teraflop lead on Anaconda. They're probably going to be priced about the same as well. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm thinking. Like, on paper, one of them will have the advantage. Um, just, it's going to happen. Um, but, I mean, they are both t probably targeting similar price points. Buying AMD parts. Um, they're releasing the same year. And I don't think either of them have a misunderstanding of the market. Um, and like both at this point have yeah. engineering teams that know what they're doing. Yeah. With, since the Surface team took over Xbox hardware. Yeah. And um, the I, things that have led to big, big gaps in power have been, you know, 
all of those things that I just mentioned, and a lot of them are just complete non-factors this time. I think something that's worth watching, or at least paying attention to, is uh, at E3 this year, Phil Spencer, and he said it since then, uh, has said that uh, you know they learned some big lessons of this this generation, and that Xbox will not be beat on price or power again. I, he he didn't he didn't quite say not will be beat. He said we won't be out of position, um, which is a very safe PR way of saying we're not going to get blown out like we did last time. <laughs> it's not going to be yeah. It's not going to be twenty percent more expensive or something and weaker. Right, exactly. If I had, to, do we want to do some price speculation a year in advance, basically not ten months in advance? I mean, I can't imagine anybody going over 500 for their top-end shelf. I would say, but, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. right now. I'm thinking PS5 and Anaconda, whatever it actually ends up being called, both at 500, 499, and Lockhart at 300, 299 is my guess. Oh wow! Oh, wow. I, I don't, I don't think they're gonna get that. I low. think, they're, I think they're because maybe hear me out, hear me out. I think the entire play there is by underclocking it, they don't have to do as crazy of cooling. It wouldn't even surprise me if the vapor chamber that they use isn't as uh, well ventilated or something like that because they're not producing as much heat since it's a lower raw teraflop output, but otherwise the architecture remains the same, and you're using it as a loss leader to get Game Pass in people's minds. That's yeah. my opinion. Um, I, 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 totally, I totally agree. That's, what I, that's exactly what I'm thinking as well. You think three hundred for? I mean, uh, Lockhart. I th- I think it's going to be losing money at three hundred. Um, Microsoft has been pretty lately. It has been selling stuff basically at cost. That's why the Xbox One was four ninety nine. That's why the Xbox One X was four ninety nine. However, if they're really just trying to convert people to Game Pass um, and get them buying all digital, um, which gets you know them more money gets people locked into the ecosystem. I think, um, cause also price, sometimes these are planned out for having, you know, price drops coming relatively soon. Um, Sony did that with the PlayStation four. Um, they took a tiny loss, but they said, if you bought a game, um, or sub to PlayStation plus, they came out ahead, which if you were buying a PS4, that's what you did. So I think, I think Anaconda and PS5, I think they're both almost definitely going to be four ninety nine unless somebody decides to eat a big loss, which I don't think they're going to do. I seriously uh, connect three point baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think Lockhart will probably eat a tiny loss to get below, um, to get to down to that two ninety nine point because I think anything above that and it w- it won't even be worth bringing. It to won't market. make sense. The yeah. the the entire existence of Lockhart and what they're trying to do hinges on the idea of get people into next gen but substantially below what the competition are doing and that only makes sense in my opinion at 300 you know i i feel like 300's low but maybe you're onto something uh over black friday selling the xbox one s uh, Microsoft was going as low as uh, as as low as two hundred dollars, and I think X you could even get it for three. So I, I mean, I guess it doesn't seem totally out of line that they would you know go for a similar pattern with three hundred for uh, Lockhart next year. And Sony basically just had a fire sale on PS4s, yeah, uh, and their and and a lot of their games. Yeah, I mean, if, if 
so many people own a PS4 at this point. Yeah. Uh, and they were selling, you know. like, God of War, I think I saw it for, like, $8.50 or something. Yeah, like, Hor- Horizon Zero yeah. Dawn was, too. You could get uh, that, God of War, and Last of Us remastered with a PS4 for $1.99. It, it, was, it was the first real fire sale they've done. Because in case yeah. it isn't clear from NPD and Nintendo Switch taking the lead every single time, People are done buying Xbox Ones and PS4s. Yeah. Like, it's over. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think PS4 is just at the point of just sheer saturation. Yeah. Um, but that's another, that's another discussion. So I, I, guess, I guess one of the things... We can maybe touch on controllers briefly if you want. Um, Sam, you mentioned way early on that Microsoft said that going to next-gen, all of their controllers will be forward-compatible, which is great because Microsoft has sure found a way to sell a lot of controllers this generation. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> he says, totally uh, not eyeing his controller collection literally on his desk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, wait, and Sony... We there's ha- actually a big... That actually plays in... There's a big piece of information that we forgot to talk about. And that was a tweet from Late Phil bar? Spencer um, just a couple days ago saying that he had oh, yeah? taken his Project Scarlet console home, was playing it using his Elite V2 controller, and was using it as his primary console. <laughs> Which is a good Which sign is... for the operating system. That's a very good sign in terms yes. of where the software is at, because that means they're not at a point where you have to load up a dev kit environment just to play a game or to get something working. It means that they have probably something very primitive and subject to change, but it means they have a working infrastructure, which is very, I very kind good. Of, I kind of felt like... Uh, I don't think he's lying about it being at that state, but I did find it somewhat convenient that he tweeted that, like, four hours after Jason Schreier had said that Microsoft is behind Sony in terms of getting their tools out to developers. Which, I mean, um, and the it, thing is... I'm sure he probably posted it because of that, but like, also that's not contradictory information. Exactly. Yeah. Um, exactly. Um, it can it, two birds, true. one stone. That whole thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. And then I guess so. I guess if we want to talk about controllers, Justin, do we think that we will see forward compatibility with Dual Shocks going into the PS5? I think probably. Um, I'd be surprised if there was any drastic changes. Um, like I said, like I said, they the talked only... about there is going to be. It didn't sound like there was going to be any real gigantic fe- like feature changes aside from the haptics on the not DualShock Five. <laughs> um, I was gonna I was gonna ask about uh, um, we talked a little bit about three D audio and and how that might impact headphones. Do you think that's something that could be patched to be a software for for a DualShock Four, or do you think that would just be a feature set you lose if you use an older controller? I think that's absolutely what it is. Yeah. I think I think you lose it because they they said it was a dedicated sound chip that was on that was in the system. Um, gotcha. So I don't think I don't. I mean, you can do it, but like from what I understand is like to do 3D audio, you have to do a very sp- specific recording and mixing. And what Sony's trying to do is to make it so that the system can compute that, so developers don't have to spend as much time on it because it's very time consuming to make a 3D audio mix. Um, gotcha. But it really improves immersion. So that's my understanding on it. 
Fair enough. And I guess the last thing I want to touch on with controllers uh, is the patent that came out for the DualShock, uh, or, or whatever they call their next controller, presumably the DualShock 5. Um, so they've removed the, the light bar that is used in a lot of PS4 games, and it looks like the touchpad's a little bit bigger. Are there any other big changes to it? It just seemed bigger, mostly. It, it, yeah, it's sli- slightly chonkier, which I'm happy about because I have giant, chonky, long hands. So I'm See, very happy about that. I, I get... I, it, the DualShock 4 is not as bad as the DualShock 3, but I do get cramps if I play it for, like, more than two or three hours, which fortunately is around the time the battery dies anyways. <laughs> so <laughs> they, they did confirm a bigger battery in the yes. DualShock 5. That is something they did confirm. Yeah. But, yeah, um, see, I'm the opposite. I have small hands. I love the DualShock 4, so I'm hoping it's not too much bigger. But, yeah, it just seems like some slight ergonomic changes. Um, it looked like the touchpad was a little bit bigger or something. But in general, I think it's going to be basically the same, um, which doesn't surprise me if it's full backwards compatibility. Um, and, you know, this isn't a bad controller by any means. I don't see them throwing it out. Right, right. Fair exactly. Enough. And also building on that, though, if we don't know if the light bar is gone, we're looking at diagrams. But if the light bar is gone, I am curious what they're using then. Because the light bar is important for PSVR and for a handful of exclusives like Until yes. Dawn. So yes, I'm, the, I'm wondering what's going on there. Yeah. Um, Until Dawn, I think, was actually just using it. Like, it used the light bar just to indicate, like, gyro stuff. But yes, it is important for tracking for PSVR, which is why I think they you might it might have an alternate way of tracking the controller in VR that's going to be built into the DualShock. But um, hopefully that'll be taken care of on an OS level and doesn't cause problems. <laughs> And then with Xbox, I would expect a pretty iterative controller. A lot of the improvements you see in the Elite V2, uh, such as an internal battery and USB-C support, I'm expecting we'll see that standard on on uh, Xbox Scarlet controllers, sure. right? You'll see them. They finally made the switch to an internal battery they, and uh, USB-C, which is both good things. Because the, the uh, battery on the Xbox Elite is fantastic. If I'm Even if I'm using a headset, it lasts for around 40 hours. Like, it, it competes with my Switch Pro controller. It, I was going to say, that's like Switch Pro controller length. But the difference is it doesn't take a whole day to charge, which is really, <laughs> really nice, to say the least. Uh, so I expect that to carry over the haptic feedback. I'll be stunned if, even if they haven't talked about it, I'll be stunned if Microsoft isn't doing something similar to Sony in that regard. It just makes sense, especially because they had a primitive version of it in the bumpers already. Um, And then the only other major difference is I expect them to cave in and add a share button because God knows Twitter has made it worth it. (laughs) So, you know. Yeah, being able to take easy screenshots. I mean, the Switch has one. And if Nintendo's doing an internet thing better than you, uh, you got to step up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I think the right way to close this out is to start talking about release window. And uh, and also I want to talk a little about games out at release so first uh, are we expecting november ish for both the new xbox console and the new uh the ps5 yeah <laughs> yeah okay. they, bo- they both said holiday 2020 i'll go i'll go one step further than that and this will be fun to revisit uh <laughs> later on because i'll either be right or i'll be wrong i'm gonna say november 15th to th- uh 2020 because they're pairing halo infinite with this 
and Halo Infinite, they've explicitly said, is going to be like a spiritual reboot. Not an actual reboot, but a yeah. spiritual reboot of the series, and that's the date the original game came out. So I'll go one step further and say November 15th, or whatever calendar-adjusted equivalent that would be for Yeah, see, if I had to guess, I would say it would be either be the 11th or 18th for Friday releases, um, but... I that's a good prediction. I like that. <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot too. Um, by the way, Lockhart and Anaconda, uh, day and date the same. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't make sense to have one after the other. In fact, it would cause problems. You want both. I was gonna say. I, I was gonna be like the only way you could ever do it not day and date would be to have the weaker one come later. Um, I, I would, would say the opposite. Idea. I think if you are gonna do that and you're still causing problems, you have the stronger one come later. But I mean, even it's, then, you're causing problems. They're both yeah. going to come out on the same day. No I mean, it, it's it's an interesting question, especially when it's like the amount that you need to have in stores and and stuff, because a lot of people buying consoles at the launch are probably going to be going with the higher-end model. Um, however, if that lower-priced model is really po- ends up being really popular, <laughs> you can run it. Like, It's going to be tough for them to predict from like a manufacturing standpoint. I'll be interested to see how some of that shakes out. All right, last thing. Typically, new consoles, uh, we have a you know three, four day one exclusives from first or third party. I I want to say this is going to be less important this generation, especially with Microsoft leaning into things like uh, Game Pass and forward compatibility. What do you guys think? Are we still expecting? Obviously, Halo Infinite is a launch title, but uh, on PS5 and uh, uh, the next Xbox consoles, how many day one exclusives are we expecting? Justin, you go first and give your opinion on both, and then I'll give my take as well. So, um, Microsoft has actually set, said they're pretty committed to cross-generation games for a while. Um, I'm sure they're going to have something special that's going to be for the Xbox Scarlet, um, whether it's just, um, you know, premiere versions of games or something. But, like, I think um, from Microsoft Game Studios, at least like probably through 2021 i think we're gonna see a lot of cross-gen releases um they've been pretty adamant about like the whole no one gets left behind thing um for sony i wouldn't be surprised if ghost of tsushima was a cross-gen game that released day and date with the ps5 um but i also expect them to have like probably two or three um like smaller titles built for the place the ground up for the ps5 and um my my big prediction is that the North Carolina Insomniac Studio is going to be doing a Ratchet and Clank for the PS5 launch. Dang that's it, you my, stole what I was gonna say. <laughs> <laughs> that that's my prediction for like their family friendly game for the not Knack three. Not Knack three. I th- I think I think Cerny's gonna be tired. He's he's been working on the PS5. Good because if Knack three is announced <laughs> and I see Cerny, I'm tackling him. Knack will die. <laughs> he, he's he's had Knack in his Knack in, with him in his lab, and they've been working. And I think Knack's tired of adventures. But yes, uh, that that's kind of my big prediction. I don't know what else we'll see, um, but like big unannounced, long running PlayStation IP, family friendly. Plus, it could be perfect for selling oh CG visuals in real time kind of thing. Um, I th- I think we see a Ratchet and Clank. Fair enough. What about you, Sam? Uh, Xbox and PlayStation Day 1 exclusive? So, for Xbox, obviously, we know about Halo Infinite. I think that 
I think for them, uh, there'll be one other cross-gen game and then one next-gen exclusive. But I could be wrong, and they might both be cross-gen, because I think Justin is correct about this. Through 2021, I would say all of Xbox stuff is going to be cross-gen. They're going to be cross-gen uh, for a fair bit. They'll give people that year to transition. I would say they're only really going to be next-gen exclusive from 2022 and beyond, is what I'll go on record as saying. But I think Halo Infinite, and then I think Turn 10 will have a Forza game, because, I don't know if you guys noticed, this was the first year in a really, 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 really long time that we didn't get a new Forza game. We got some updates, we got an expansion for Forza Horizon 4, but we didn't actually get a new Forza game. So I think they've been working extra hard on rebooting some things, changing the engine up, giving it some infrastructure upgrades, and we'll see Forza Motorsport 8, and then there will be one third-party exclusive. I have no idea who it'll be, but it'll be some sort of publishing deal that they have ready. Uh, for launch, because Matt Booty has been very adamant about saying that just because they've upped their studio infrastructure and they've got the big focus on them now and they're continuing to have that big focus, they're not cutting down on deals elsewhere. They're not cutting down on the publishing team. In fact, they've upped them. So I think you'll see something there. For PlayStation, Justin stole what I was going to say, because (laughs) yes, Ratchet & Clank, absolutely, um, because that's easier. The, The smaller North Carolina studio could easily handle that, I think, in time for the PlayStation launch. I'm not sure if it would be PlayStation 5 exclusive. Maybe, maybe not, uh, but it'll definitely be there. Ghost of Tsushima as a cross-gen game at this point is a no-brainer because The Last of Us has made things a little difficult there in terms of being bumped <laughs> back a few months. And then the other one, I know a lot of people think Guerrilla Games will be ready. I don't think they're quite going to be ready. Guerrilla Games, it will be uh, twenty early 2021 in my yeah, opinion. I, I, think, I think Horizon 2 um, with one of my most anticipated games right now, uh, I love the first game. I think it's gonna be that like end of the launch window, right? Exactly. Game. It'll, be, it'll be what Fable is for Xbox. It'll be that yeah. end of the cross gen period type. Like I think I think that's gonna be the first like big next gen exclusive game on either system. Probably. Uh, I think like that's gonna be the first like huge built from the ground up for next gen like showstopper game and i don't think they're gonna rush that for launch day one the first horizon sold over 10 million copies <laughs> um i think they're gonna want it to be a big polished title so i don't see that coming day one um but i think it'll be bef- by march 2021 yeah, may- maybe May or June at the latest, if they need yeah. to if they need to polish up. I agree, but I'm just saying I-, I would temper your expectations right now. I don't think that'll be a launch title. I'm sure they'll have something else, but to be blunt, I'm not sure what it will be. They might have a third party deal with like Housemark or uh, someone else, or may- you know what? You know what? Actually, no, I'm retracting that on there. It'll be Blue Point's game. Nope, I'm going to retract that. It'll be Blue Point's game because Blue Point has explicitly confirmed they're working on a PlayStation Five game. Uh, which fun fact? Oh, I know, how did I forget to how did I, I know, forget to mention I know, that? I, know, I forgot that too. But I will <laughs> confirm. I know for a fact that was actually intended to be a PlayStation Four game, and Sony told them to bump it. They told them no, no, just that, push it back, push it back yep. further. We don't need it at this point. We need it for PlayStation Five. So that'll be a PlayStation Five launch game. And you only get one guess as to what it is. I think everyone knows at this point. Knack three, baby. <laughs> Zach, <laughs> wild card. <laughs> I'm gonna take it out on Cerny, dude. <laughs> I'm gonna take it out. On <laughs> but yeah, uh, you sh- you should see interesting stuff all around, and 2020 will be good for both. 
but I think 2021 is going to be where the wheels start really turning in motion. Because uh, yeah. you'll see Horizon Zero Dawn 2, you'll see Everwild and Age of Empires 4 on Xbox, probably t- a Fable, which is what Playground is working on. You'll see a lot of good stuff there. And like, also the timing works out for a lot of Sony's major studios to also have stuff in the 2021-2022 time frame. A lot of the new acquisitions for Microsoft will probably be able to have stuff out around that time. I think those first couple of years, I think both are going to be really firing on all cylinders, getting out a lot of games. You know what I'm fascinated about, guys? You you know what excites me the most about this generation going into this? It's not even the technology leap, which it is. I, I studied quite a bit of computer engineering in college, so this stuff fascinates me. But I think the most exciting thing is that we might actually for once, be going into a generation where neither side does something incredibly stupid. And that is an incredibly oh, exciting Sa- thing Sa- to say. Sam, 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 Sam you just such a, jinxed such a, it. I you just I jinxed it. Sam. <laughs> <laughs> such a bold thing to say <laughs> 11 months before launch. Tomorrow we'll get a report that Jim Ryan doesn't believe in poor people having consoles and Phil Spencer doesn't believe consoles should cost less than $800. I know, but still, the point is... God. By the, by the way, like the when Ken Kutaragi showed up in the state of play today, I was like bracing myself for a Cell 2 announcement or, so, <laughs> or something. Surprise, we've actually gone to custom development again. Alright guys, I think that will do it for our next-gen console talk. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for being here, buddy. Well, thank you for having me, Zach. Of course. And Sam, thank you so much for coming by and joining us. Absolutely. Uh, we always dig having you do on. Do you mind if I do a, a tiny bit of shameless self-promo since I never do it, to be blunt? Fuck you, Sam. No. Okay. All right. No, please. Please. I was just going to say, to be per- I hate doing this, but honestly, to be blunt, literally every other outlet got it wrong when they said Lockhart was canceled. And Windows Central was correct, and Jez Corden was correct when he said, uh, hold on, this doesn't really match up with what I've got. So when I say you should pay attention to us for Microsoft-related stuff, you should pay attention to us for Microsoft-related stuff. I'm just going to put it out there. But I appreciate you guys having me on. I really do. Yeah, of course. Sam, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me on Twitter, at Samuel Talbert. I'm one of those lucky fools who actually has his name. Justin, where can people find you, buddy? Uh, you can find me at RoboPlato. And you can find me at Bearclaw Gaming. All right, that'll do it for us. It's not always poetry. We don't always agree, but we always keep it real. Take it easy, everybody. Thank you. Witcher 3 Combat is great.